This morning we're continuing in our uh, message and series titled Faith. Uh, and when we're talking about faith here, we're talking about lots of different things in our daily walk with Jesus. Oftentimes when we know and hear the word faith, we're talking about faith in Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross, forgave us of our sins, so that we could walk sin-free in this world, right? Even though we will be drawn through temptation and we will sin, we can truly be seen as righteous by God because of what Jesus did on the cross, paying the price for our sins that we may be made at one with God again. So that one day, when we leave this terrible earth <laughs> that was created perfectly and man chose to mess it up, we will be united in heaven with that creator and sustainer. But when we're talking about faith in this series, this is all about our daily walk with Jesus. It's not necessarily about that moment, though that obviously is a huge part of why we can have faith for our everyday problems. But this series is all about faith in your daily life. We've talked about in week one how Jesus falling asleep in the boat in the midst of the storm. We need to be, have faith that Jesus will... We have to, need to have some, We need to trust that Jesus... Uh, will protect us in the storm and deliver us from it. In week two, we talked about how no matter how long we have to wait, we should have faith that God will do and fulfill his promise to us as his children. And we talked about the man who was an invalid for 38 years. And then last week, we went through different stories of these ginormous obstacles that stood before different people of God. The Red Sea, uh, being in chains in a prison, uh, dying, right? These types of being starving and having no resources available for food and water. And yet, time after time, God showed that he is able to provide. He is able to to heal. He is able to restore. He is able to resurrect because we serve a God who is mighty and he's been creating something out of nothing from the beginning of creation. Our two main passages of scripture that we've been talking through each week are in Matthew chapter 21, verse 21 and 22. It says, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. <coughs> Hebrews 11 says, Hebrews 11, 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith in our everyday life, when it is applied, by the way, if you have your Bibles out, you want to go to Numbers chapter 20 is where we'll be in just a moment. Numbers 20. Faith in our everyday life, when applied, looks like choosing to believe God in spite of what you see. I don't know about you, but oftentimes in life when I look at uh, job situations, when I look at my family, when I look at our church, there are things that I see that can literally mentally destroy me. Uh, one of the things I talk about with Julie, Pastor, Pastor Julie, she loves to, it's not just her, I know a lot of people like this, you love to possum. Um, what do I mean by possum? Uh, when something happens in your life that can startle you, you end up playing dead. Um, when Pastor Julie, and she doesn't do this as much anymore, obviously God's been working on her, uh, she was one of those, 
huge, ginormous obstacle in front of me. I just want to lay in my bed all day. Anybody else one of those? Um, yeah, we're all broken, right? I am not that way. I'm the one that when a big, heavy obstacle stands in front of me, I want to charge head first without thinking about it. Anybody else like me? Right? Anybody? Here's the deal. If you look at possums and think they have a problem because you're one of those, I'm going to dive head first, I'm going to tell you right now, you also have a problem. <laughs> We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that today. Faith doesn't quit believing, no matter how long and no matter how large. Faith trusts in protection. It believes in deliverance. And today what we're going to talk about is putting faith in the right place. Putting faith in the right place. I would argue that every one of us has faith. Even those who want to say things like, I don't have faith. Uh, maybe you don't have faith in God, but I assure you, you have faith in something. You might have faith in yourself. You might have faith in another person. Uh, you might have faith in an obstacle not being too large, but all of us have faith. Why? Because none of us really know what the future holds in regards to the things that we do, right? I wish, man, I wish. I wish I knew back when I was in college, uh, when I went into my first theology exam, I wish I knew what I was going to get based on the effort I put in. Otherwise, I would have tried harder so I didn't get a 12 out of 100, right? <laughs> that... If I could see that I was going to get a 12, I would have tried harder, all right? I was sharing in the neighborhood this week, if I knew that I was going to get my first F on a report card in high school, which ended up actually not being an F because I did something, I, I fell for a teacher's ploy, uh, in French 4, I would never have taken French 4. If you asked me today to speak in French, I can barely do it, but I can do a little bit. I can pretty much hear it and then embarrass myself trying to speak it. Why? Uh, I, I, can, I can have faith that if I eat better, I'm going to feel better, right? I don't know if you know this, but you do end up feeling better if you eat better. If you fill your body with junk and no fruits and vegetables, you're going to feel like junk. Um, it's, it's true. It sounds, it's annoying, right? Because we just want to eat potato chips all day and french fries. <laughs> if I begin exercising, I'm going to have more energy than if I just sit on my couch all day, right? I have faith that if I begin exercising, I'm, I'm going to feel different. I'm going to be able to do more. Now, part of that faith is based on what we know, right? It's based on what we've experienced. It's also based on science, which I would argue you have to have some kind of faith oftentimes to believe in science as well, because if there's one thing I've learned over time, I can do the same thing 10 times and get the same result that I expect eight times and then two times end up with something different, yeah. right? I don't know about you, but I, you know, I'm not a big baker. I'm not a big, I, I like cooking. I don't like baking. Um, Julie loves baking. She's great at it. Uh, but what's amazing about baking uh, is you can follow the recipe exactly, right? And yet for some reason, they don't always taste the same. Even if you do everything right. It just doesn't always taste the same. It's the amount of love you put in, you know? No, that's not what it is. <laughs> but this is what I'm talking. You have to have some level of, so we all have faith. It's just a matter of where we place it and how we process it that changes. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk. I mean, let's talk about, there are just things that 
are going to happen. And then Jesus uses parables to talk about things that we can, listen, if we plant a seed, we should get a harvest if it's planted in good soil and taken care of, right? Yep. We don't know the size of the harvest, but we should get something. If we invest, we'll, we should expect at some point in time, we'll find some kind of return. Now, obviously, you look at our economy today and you go, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, it might maybe in like 30 years, you will find a, I got 35 years, I got 35 years to retirement. Hey, I'm just going to hope for the best. But this is, that's what I'm like, those are natural knowns. Our God created our world for things to be in order, and so there are things we can expect to happen based on the things that we do. But what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about our faith and how sometimes we put more faith in the wrong place and how it can affect our life. Numbers chapter 20, beginning in verse 2. We're going to do something similar to last week. You're not going to have fun pictures on the screen. It was a rough week for me. Um, so I was just all over the place, didn't have time to build your fun little stick figure people. I know, I know, disappointment. But Numbers chapter 20, beginning in verse 2. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Obviously, we've got the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Things don't look good. Not enough resources, right? Kind of similar to last week. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you, did not, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Now, some of you were like, some of you caught it, some of you didn't catch it. So let's talk about it real quick. Um, in Exodus chapter 17, what takes place in the exact same situation, because I don't know if you pay, if you read through the Old Testament, you realize that the Israelites are just like us. And though we complained about something in April of 2021 and April of 2020, for some reason we complained about in April 2022, and we just don't believe that God's going to do it, even though he's done it time and time again. The Israelites are the same way. It's just this constant cycle. Like complain, repent, God provides, things are good, uh, we have a little turn, Israelites are complaining again, they repent, God provides, it's just this endless cycle, right? Anybody else live in that endless cycle, right? I'm gonna, today we're talking about pulling ourselves out of that cycle where we're no longer going to go back to the, I'm not going to believe that God can, we're just going to continue to walk on the same trajectory that God will provide. And so in Exodus 17, what God says to Moses is, hey, what I want you to do is you, I want you to take your staff and I want you to strike the rock and water is going to flow out of it. And guess what happens? Moses takes the staff in Exodus 17. He strikes the rock, water flows out of it. I wish I could perform that for you, but it's not going to happen, right? I can't just hit a rock, 
mean, he, if, he, if God told me to do it, I would do it, but he didn't tell me to do it, so it wouldn't have happened. But this is what he does. So now we get to Numbers chapter 20, and Moses has already taken his staff back in Exodus 17, struck the wa- water, rock, water flows out of it. And now here in Numbers chapter 20, what ends up taking place is God says to Moses, speak to the rock. But Moses doesn't have faith in what God says. He has faith in what he knows. He has faith in what he's seen in the past. Rather than faith in God to do what God said he would do, he says, well, I know what to do in this moment. So he takes the staff and he hits the rock. Now, God, in his graciousness and his mercy, sends water from the rock to provide for the Israelites because he knows they have that need. But he looks at Moses and Aaron and says, because you did not trust me, you will not see the promised land. Let me tell you a story about another man. Found in Judges chapter 15 and 16, there's a man named Samson, known as the strongest man in history. I mean, the the stories of Samson just go beyond what many of us know. And I'm going to give you right now. So when we talked, we went through a Judges Bible study a couple years ago. And so I dove dove headstrong into Samson and how much of an idiot he was. But some of this, I'll just give you two stories. So Samson, at one point, uh, he's really mad at the Philistines, and he gets so frustrated over the situation that he's in. He's been betrayed, and he takes the jawbone of a donkey, and he kills a thousand men with it. Right? I mean, imagine, imagine walking out into the middle of Bethel and saying, I want every man over the age of 18 with the jawbone of a donkey and just going to town. I'll tell you right now, I, I mean, I, I could pick the strongest man in this church. You aren't, you aren't going to survive. Samson, though, he's, it's not just this. Samson, at one point, he gets trapped in this city, right? He gets trapped in this city, and he has to escape and get out because at this point, he doesn't want to kill a bunch of people, but he's trapped, and so he gets to the gates of this city, right? They're shut. Samson takes these gates off the wall, He breaks the frame of the gate, takes them off the wall, and he's like, you know what? I don't even want this city to be shut down tonight after I leave. And he takes the gates. He Literally, the scriptures say this. He puts them on his shoulders and takes them miles away from the city. Now, we hear that and we go, listen, this is not like the gate sitting out here. This is a city gate. Some scholars estimate that these gates in combination weighed 8,000 pounds. We're talking four, th- four grand, two, four, two tons over here, two tons over here, just on your shoulders, right? This is not natural strength, right? This is not, this is not something you can work out for. This isn't, the, the strongest man on earth today could not do this. This is Holy Spirit-enabled strength. Now, we hear this and we go, listen, I, I don't know if I can believe that. Listen, there are a bunch of Philistines out there who would tell you that this happened. Because I assure you that there were men who were guarding that gate because they were trying to get Samson, who watched him carry the gate away. The scriptures that wrote about Samson would not have lasted to this day because there would have been people who would be like, no, nah, that didn't happen. Listen, you can believe what you want, but Samson did not take those gates off. No, there would have been children. There probably could have been people in that moment who literally said, no, I was there. 
you got to understand that this was the most terrifying thing I've ever witnessed because I watched this man pick up these gates and I thought he could break me like a twig like that. But if you read more about Samson, Samson is an idiot. And he gets encountered with this woman named Delilah. And Delilah asks him because Delilah's on the, on the opposite team and she's trying, to, she's trying to get money and she's trying to betray Samson. And so she's like, would you, do, would you just tell me where your strength comes from, Samson? I just, I just love you so much and I just want to know. And Samson's like, ah, if you just, if you bind my arms with leather. And uh, she's like, okay. So Samson falls asleep and she binds his arms with leather and the guards come in and Samson obviously breaks the leather and she's like well you got to do it with these reeds or Samson's like, you got to do it with these reeds and he's like fine all right thank you so much Samson and she does it and nothing happens and Samson just gets nagged and nagged and nagged by Delilah until finally Samson gives in and he says listen it's my hair if you cut my hair I can't do anything now what you have to understand is that Samson, his mother had taken a Nazarite vow, and he was told that he should take a Nazarite vow, which meant there were three things that he was supposed to do. He was supposed to, one, never cut his hair. He was supposed to, two, never touch anything dead. And he was supposed to, three, never drink alcohol. Now, if you read the story of Samson, he does all three of those multiple times in his life. But in this moment, well, I'll say this. Because of how foolish Samson was, it's amazing that God continued to show him grace and mercy to allow him to do the things that he did in supernatural strength. If you ever think you're too far from God, just imagine you're not Samson who was stupid enough to do what he did, and yet God still has grace and mercy for you as well. You are not too far gone. So Samson, though, he says, I did cut my hair. Well, sure enough, Delilah cuts his hair, and Samson gets captured. They end up gouging out his eyes. They put him on display. They put him to work. See, what ends up happening, though, is Samson tries to break free when he wakes up. What's amazing about Samson is he attributed his strength to his hair, not God. And oftentimes, and this is something that I feel like we can all do, is we put our faith in our strength. Um, I'm going to put it this way. Oftentimes, we put our faith in the gifts that God has given us rather than God himself. I'm going to say that one more time because we all need to have an encounter with this statement today. A lot of times we put our faith in the gifts that God has given us rather than God himself. What do I mean by that? Um, I have been gifted by God with administration. It's just one of those things that people have attributed to me throughout my ministry. People said, man, you have, a, you, have a good, you have a good way of organization, of viewing things, the way that you organize, the way that you uh, are, are, so whatever, I don't need to go into details. But they say that. Now, five years ago, when I was pastoring this church, I put a lot of emphasis on my ministry in the way that God had gifted me. So what that meant was I was working really hard so that we could see this church grow using my gifts that God had given me. But what I was not doing is what I'm doing today, which is partnering the gifts that God has given me with an understanding that I need God way more than I need the gifts of God. So the way that I pray now and the way that I lead now 
is not through the way that God has gifted me, but instead through the authority that he's bestowed upon me through his Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So for some of us, I mean, you, you, you may be really gifted. Now, here's, the, here's, what's, here's what's amazing about this. Operating in your strength is not hard for the person who's very weak, right? If you're very weak, if you recognize, I can't do this, it's very easy to say, well, Jesus is my strength. Jesus is my rock. Jesus is the one leading me. But what does it look like when you do have the strength? When you look like Samson? When you look like, I can do this on my own. Is your faith in that moment in God? Or is it in the gifts of God? In Joshua 7, we come across a story where the Israelites are starting to take the promised land. In fact, this is right after Jericho. Right after Jericho. So uh, Moses has died. Joshua now assumes leadership over the Israelites. They cross over the Jordan River. They hit Jericho. You know the story. If you don't know the story, they'll march around Jericho once a day six, for six days. On the seventh day, they march around seven times. They blow the trumpets. They shout. The walls come down. They go and they take the city. Huge win. Like, it shouldn't have happened because Jericho was a fortress. It was not a small city by any means. But they trusted God, and they did exactly what they said what God said they should do. But then they come to this small city named Ai. And Ai was not Jericho. Ai was this small city with not a lot of people. And so Joshua sent some spies ahead to Ai, and they come back and they say, hey, we don't need as many people. We're going to be fine. Let's just, send a, let's just send a couple thousand out, and then they'll come, like, we'll, just, we'll take it. There's not going to be a problem. Anybody have an, had an encounter or a difficult problem that didn't seem difficult at all in their life? Right? We've all, we've all had this. We go, oh, this is going to be easy. This is me anytime I take on a facility project at this church. Anytime. Anytime. I come to the project and I go, this is going to take me 20 minutes. And then I put a hole in a wall, a good hole in the wall, not like a bad one, and I go, what were they thinking? And then 20 minutes becomes four hours, right? I mean, I remember doing these lights up here, and I go, um, why is the electrical wire not connected? Like, that, that, should have been, that job should have been like three hours that day. It ended up being, I think, eight hours that day, right? It was just nonsense because I had to replace what we had. It was a mess. It was a mess. So they go. They try to take the city of Ai doesn't go well. They get chased out, lose a couple people. It's not good. And so what ends up happening is Israel looks back on themselves and they go, God, why could you do this? Why did you not let us win this simple battle? And what God says is, no, no, no. Don't look at me. You messed up. Because what God had said was Jericho was mine because Jericho was the first city that they took in the promised land. Jericho was a tithe of the promised land. Think about that. Jericho is the first fruit of the promised land. So God says to the people of Israel, listen, when you take Jericho, understand that it's going to be a miracle. I'm going to take the wall down. I'm going to take the city. Yes, you will physically take it, but I'm going to be the one that makes it possible for you. So all the spoils go into the temple treasury. They're mine. Well, obviously, a man doesn't listen to this. He goes and does his own thing. He takes it, buries it in his tent. 
Well, can you imagine what takes place? Obviously, God does not do what he said he would do, which is look after them because they were not faithful to what they said they would do. So they lose. The man's name was Achan. They blew it. You know, oftentimes, <laughs> we have faith due to the size of the obstacle that stands before us. We go, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to go in. I'm going to have this conversation. Everything's going to go well. I'll tell you what, as a pastor, every tough conversation I've ever had is a tough conversation, right? They can still go well, but they're not easy. Sometimes you go into a conversation and you get completely blindsided because you thought everything was going well and you're like, oh no, everything's falling falling apart behind closed doors, right? We've all been there. Our faith is placed in the size of the obstacle. In Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read some from this passage in a minute, Acts chapter 8, we come to this story of faith that I would argue encompasses a lot of the American church. There's this man named Simon who was known as a sorcerer. And the people of this town knew Simon. He would perform, I'm just going to be really, he would perform magic, he would do sorcery, and these signs would impress people. Right? It'd be like if I were out in the city street and I would just start doing magic tricks and be like, oh! But not card tricks. Like I just start levitating and I just pull fire out of my ear. Like weird stuff, right? This is what we're talking about. And so when we, when we get to this place, this sorcerer, is, he, he encounters the gospel, right? So these people have come and they begin to share Jesus. And Simon goes, oh, well, like, there's power in this? And he, and he says, yeah, well, I want this. And then these apostles come. Uh, I, I believe it's Peter and John. I don't remember for sure, but Peter's one of them. It might be, I think it's Peter and James. Anyway, so Peter is there, and Simon the sorcerer comes to these apostles, and they're, he's watching the apostles lay hands on people, and they're receiving the Holy Spirit, they're speaking in tongues, and things are going awesome, and there's signs and miracles, and Simon comes up to the apostles and says, hey, how much money do I need to pay you so that I can do that? I want to be able to do that too. How much do I need to give you so that I can put hands on people and just miracle? And, and Peter looks at this man in response. He says this, verse 20, Acts chapter 8, verse 20. He says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Sometimes our faith is based in selfish motive. Oh, this is all of us, right? This is all of us. Sometimes our faith is based in selfish motive motive. Oftentimes our selfish motive sounds like this when we pray, hey God, if you do this, I will do this. You start, you start bargaining with the creator of the universe. I don't know if you, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. God doesn't need you. He wants you. He wants you, but he doesn't need you. There's nothing you can give God that he does not already have. You can't bargain with somebody who doesn't have any need or want other than you. You see, when I, I think sometimes it's, God, if you do this, I will do that. Sometimes it's, hey, God, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to expect you to do this as well. That's not how it works. 
That's not how faith works. Faith isn't based on selfish motive. Faith is belief and trust that God is creator, sustainer, and he knows what's best for me. Faith says this. This is the way faith sounds like. I'll use myself. I'll use myself because it's easy rather than putting it on anybody. God, I believe that you can heal my back. I believe that you will heal my back. But God, and I've, I've said this prayer in this church before and you've heard it. God, if you need to keep me like this so that I rely on you every day of my life and that's what's best for your kingdom and for me, then so be it. That's a dangerous prayer, right? It's a dangerous prayer because for my personal benefit, obviously, I want to be able to move around. I want to be able to run. Yesterday, at one point, I was like, man, I'm having a lot of pain in my back. Part of it was like, yes, I always feel the back injury. Part of it was just like weird back things, which I know the weird back things normally happen because I'm protecting the other part of my back. But I said, God, and this is my prayer all the time. God, I believe that you can heal me. God, I believe that you will heal me. But I'd rather be close to you every day of my life. I'd rather trust in you for strength. So if, I'm, if, if in the future I can't see that day, if in the future, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, if you see that I in my healing of my back begin to think I am strong enough as a pastor on my own, then please let me have my back injured every day of my life. It's a dangerous prayer. But it's what I want. It's what I want. Because I trust him more than I trust myself. Because I have blown it so many times. Anybody else blown it? (laughs) Anybody Anybody else realized at this point in your life that you aren't smart enough? That you aren't strong enough? That you aren't wise enough? That you don't have it in and of yourself? But you know what's amazing about being a Christian is that that's not what my faith in. My faith is not in the fact that I am. My faith is in the fact that he is. It's my faith is in the fact that he is strong enough and he can empower me. My faith is in the fact that he is he has peace that goes beyond understanding and he has it for me. My belief and my faith is not that I am patient in and of myself, but for some reason when I spend time with his Holy Spirit, I'm able to wait. Why? Because it's not in who I am. I'm a sinful being. I wasn't created that way. But as a person who is born in sin because of Adam and Eve and the decisions that they made, and now the decisions that I make as a human being, I recognize that I am fallen. I am messed up and I need a savior. And what I love is that I serve a savior who's not distant. But he gave his Holy Spirit to live within so that I could be made different. Today is a day of self-reflection. I said in pre-service prayer, these last three weeks have been hoorah faith days. We believe that God can. We believe that God can. We believe that God can. And this week is really about, do I really believe that God can or am I trying to live a life that shows that I can? Does my life, do my actions, do my words, do my finances, does my family reflect the fact that my faith is in God or does it reflect the fact that my faith is in my own strength, in my own wisdom? Does the way I spend my time reflect that God has my faith or does it reveal more that I bear the burdens in my life? I'm going to say that one one more time. Does the way I spend my time reflect that God is the one who has my faith Or does it reveal that I am the one who bears the burdens of my life? 
Romans 12, 1 and 2. Though we do not um, read the word faith in these verses, I would argue that this is a great depiction of what faith looks like in our everyday life. Paul spends 11 chapters of Romans unpacking what the law is in relation to us today. He unpacks what a spirit-empowered life looks like. He, he, he unpacks what grace and mercy has bestow been bestowed upon you through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. He does all of this for 11 chapters, and then he turns the script in chapter 12, and he says, therefore. So what Paul does in Romans is he says, hey, in light of Jesus... In light of what he's done, in light of the cross, in light of the resurrection, in light of who you were and who you are today, this is what you should do. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Faith says, I am willing to trust that God knows what is best. So I lay my life down as a living sacrifice before God. That's not easy, right? You know, I, I, we, all, we all joke that I have a control problem. We all have a control problem. Yep. We all do. Some of us, our control problem has to do with our household, right? Some of us, it has to do with our job. Some of us, it has to do with our family. Some of us, it has to do with what happens up here, right? I'm in control of my thoughts. I'm in control of my thoughts. Wait. You see, we all struggle with control. But what the gospel says, the gospel says is you are not in control. So lay your life down and trust in me. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, believing that what God has for you is better than what you have for yourself. Believing that he is in control and not you. And now what that does is that brings freedom to your life. Because I don't know about you, but when I try to control things and things go wrong, who's to blame? Me. I don't like that feeling. Because that feeling is failure. But when I live my life in such a way, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, when I walk into a situation and things don't go the way I want it to or expect, but I have walked in and said, God, I've been praying about this. God, I believe that you know what's best here. God, would you empower me to say the right things? God, would you, would you help me in preparation for this moment? When I do all of those things and then I walk into a situation and something goes wrong, I don't go, what did I do? I go, okay, God, thank you for being with me in that moment. Now I see that no, it didn't go the way I wanted it to, but I trust that you knew what was going to happen already. And it's on you. What's amazing about the Christian faith is I'm never a failure if I lay my life down. But if I continually try to live in my own strength, I will be a failure. Now, you will fail. Obviously, we all fall into temptation of sin. But my encouragement to you is this. In everything, in everything, in everything, trust God. There's no, matter, there's no problem too big or too small. 
That's why you start your day in prayer. Listen, you might not be able to read your Bible in the morning because you're one of those like, groggy people, okay? But you should always start your day in prayer. Before you go, into, before you go to work, pray. If you're a person who has to commute to work, pray. In the car. If you're a person who gets out of bed and you walk to a computer, you better stop along the way because it's not far enough of a commute. Listen, if your prayer is, God bless my day, and then you start working, I assure you, that's not enough time with the Holy Spirit for him to build something up within you for that day and give you the fruit that you need for that conversation you'll have later. Spend time with Jesus. Now, this is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus, he, in the verses before, he talks about how he's performed signs and miracles in these towns. Remember how I talked about being in the middle of town doing all this magic weird stuff, right? Jesus is walking through towns. He's healing people. He's setting people free from demonic oppression. And what ends up happening is after he leaves these towns, he recognizes that they don't repent. They still continue to do their own thing. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus is the one who came to save them, to set them free. Instead, they go, oh, that was cool that that man showed up, but now I'm going to go back to doing my own thing in my own strength, in my own power. And so Jesus says, woe to these towns. But then he's speaking to these people who are listening, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus does here in this moment is he's contrasting the way the people were living in the Jewish faith in that moment versus what he had for them. You have to understand that there are people out there who think they can earn their way into heaven, so they do good works. They live according to the law. And what they do is they are bound to doing the right thing because if they don't, then they fail. And they don't know what's going to happen. But you know what's great about Jesus is Jesus says, that is not the life I have for you. You are not bound to a law. You are not bound to rules. You have been set free because I fulfilled all of the law. I am perfect. And as the perfect sacrifice, I gave my life on a cross so that you could come to me, so that when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see your failure, what he sees is the holy, righteous, perfect Jesus Christ. That's what he's done. And what Jesus says is, listen, he says, come to me, for my yoke is easy. It's not the law, it's follow me. It's live in pursuit of me. And I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but in this world, I could use some rest. Somebody this morning asked me, a couple people asked me this morning, how are you doing this week, Pastor? I'll tell you right now, it was an exhausting week. Not even physically. Like, yes, there were things that I had to do. I, I am just mentally exhausted as I am processing all of the things that are just up in the air. And I go, I don't know what my life is going to look like in a month or two months or four months. Just being 100% real with you. And I feel like we're all kind of there, right? <laughs> we look at our world and we go, I don't have a clue what's happening right now. But one thing I've learned, and what Jesus says, is that our works and our strength are not enough for our salvation. What we need is Jesus. Our faith cannot be in ourself. Our faith cannot be in what we've seen in the past. Our faith needs to be in Jesus. And what does faith in Jesus look like? It looks like obedience. 
And as we go back to these stories, I'm going to show you something real quick. Moses wasn't obedient to God, and therefore he never saw the promised land. Samson wasn't obedient, and therefore he died, never realizing his full potential as a judge. Achan wasn't obedient, and therefore men lost their lives in a battle that they never should have had a problem with. Simon was obedient to his greed over Jesus, and he was rebuked for it before the apostles. Faith is directly tied to obedience. Why? Because faith in God believes him over everything we see and know. Over everything we see and know. If I believe that God can, in regards to my finances, I'm going to handle my finances different. If I believe that God can in my relationships, then I'm going to handle my relationships different. If I believe that God can in regards to my illness, then I'm going to live differently in regards to my illness. Are you catching my drift here? Now listen, God uses gifts, right? He uses our strength. It's not like, well, I'm not going to use my giftings to see this fulfilled. It's No, no, it's Jesus first using my gifts, right? Doctors are gifts from God. We don't just say, I'm going to believe that God's going to heal me. We say, I believe that God's going to heal me. And the way he might heal me is through these gifts of these people who have studied medicine and know what they're doing in regards to my body. I'm going to believe that God can heal me, but I'm also going to believe that he can heal me in this gift. I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe that God can restore my marriage. I'm also going to believe that he's given us gifts and counselors to help me work on my marriage. I believe that God can provide for my family, and I'm going to believe for the miraculous in that way. But I'm also going to use these gifts of people who are there to help me, or I'm going to use these gifts. And listen, some of you might disagree with me here, but if somebody's in a difficult time, then a government-funded program that can help you. Should they be forever? No. But when you're in a difficult situation, you use it. That's what it's there for. This is what, I, this is, all right. What does Romans 12, 2 say? Worship team, you can come. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Faith every day. You, your life should look different as a Christian. Listen, I'm sick and tired of the, oh, I can't tell that they're a Christian. You know what I love? People don't question whether I'm a Christian. They might question that I'm a pastor, because I look different, and I definitely don't talk like a normal pastor, and like I, I'll say idiot from the pulpit and crap and things like that. But like I, I understand that people might look at me and go, "Well, that's not what a pastor looks like." But nobody looks at me ever and goes, "Well, he's not a follower of Jesus." I look different, and it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus, and my faith empowers me to live differently. So that in my pain, people come to know Jesus. There are people in our church who started coming because of the way I lived while I was in tremendous pain. And also while I was living in confusion due to concussion symptoms. You got to understand, God can use that, right? But if you live your life with faith in yourself rather than Jesus and you're going to talk different, you're going to sound different, and it's going to look different. You're going to look like the world. This morning is gut check day. Where is your faith? Is your faith in yourself? 
Is your faith in what you know? Or is your faith in God? Do you believe that he's going to do what he said? That he's faithful to his word to provide? To look after his children? Or are you worried about every circumstance in your life? This morning, we're going to open these altars. We're going to sing. We got, we got two songs. Two songs. Take some time to self-examine. Now, here, here's the deal, right? You can't lump your life all together in this, day, in this moment. Because for some of you, you have faith in God for a physical issue, but you don't have faith in God with your relationship. For some of you, you have faith in God in regards to your relationship, but you don't have faith in God in regards to your finances. For some of you, you have faith in God for your finances, but you don't have faith in God for your children. Do you understand what I'm saying here today? It's time to take a day, take a moment, and go, God, forgive me where I thought I had it here. I thank you that you gifted me, but God, may I always put you above my gifts. God, would you, would you empower me with your Holy Spirit so that I recognize that it is you and not me who will see this thing come to pass? Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you can. Jesus, we trust that you will. And Jesus, this morning, as we self-reflect on our life, God, may we leave here not feeling guilty, but may we live here, leave here set free from worry, set free from the burden of our lives. Because Jesus, your word promises rest and peace and hope and joy for those who surrender to you. And Jesus, that's what I pray, that we would surrender everything and trust you with our family, with our health, with our mental health, with our finances with our jobs. Jesus, we surrender everything to you, believing that you can, trusting that you will. And as we wait, we believe above all things that your plan and purposes are perfect. In my prayer, amen.